Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is from our series, Worship, Living in Awe of God. We're exploring the very foundations of worship, including the preparation of worship, the power of worship, and the protocol of worship. Worship is central to the life of our church because we are to live and do all things to the glory of God. God alone is worthy of our worship as we live in awe of his mercy and majesty. Would you help me welcome Elder Bill as he brings the word today? Good morning. Scripture reading this morning is from Ecclesiastes chapter 5. So turn there if you are able. This is a passage we'll be looking at today. Talk a little bit more about the background of Ecclesiastes later on, but but follow along as I read from chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifice as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Do not be hasty to speak and do not be impulsive to make a speech before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. Just as dreams accompany much labor, so also a fool's voice comes with many words. When you make a vow to God, don't delay fulfilling it, because he does not delight in fools. Fulfill what you vow. Better that you do not vow than you vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth bring guilt on you, and do not say in the presence of the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry with your words and destroy the work of your hands? For many dreams bring futility. So do many words. Therefore, fear God. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, I like to hear that. This is the word of the Lord. Excellent. That is just not a uh, a a liturgical flourish when we say that. When you think about all that God has done to give us his word and to reveal himself, and all that people have sacrificed so that we can have the scriptures in our own language. A nice loud thanks be to God is, just, is, is the smallest response that we can give when the word of God is read. And this morning, we're going to begin a new series on the topic of worship. And I'm excited about that, and I hope you are too, and here's why. There are very few topics, very few subjects that are closer to the heart of God than the subject of worship. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that the Father is seeking people to worship him. John chapter 4, Jesus said the Father is seeking people to worship him. And there are a few topics that are as visceral and as street level for our day-to-day lives than worship, believe it or not. It's not a topic that's just combined to this room for an hour on Sunday morning. When Jesus said that the Father was seeking people to worship him, he wasn't talking to a seminary class. He was talking to a lady at a well in the, in the, in the, in the land of Samaria who had spent years wrapped up in a lifestyle of immorality. And he confronted her with her sin. It's a fascinating conversation if you read the passage. Jesus strikes up this conversation with this woman. And at one point, Jesus, who never was afraid to step into conflict, 
appropriately and at the right time, said, hey, before we talk any further, call your husband. Ooh, and you could hear a little bit of awkward silence because she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't. The guy you're living with isn't your husband. And as a matter of fact, you've been married seven times before. We have to talk about this. He confronted her with her serial relationships and her sinful habits, not in order to condemn her, not in order to drive her away, but because he understood that there was something that she was putting between her and God. There was something that she was seeking in these relationships and this lifestyle that was holding her back from God, and he wanted her to worship him. And so he had to kind of clear away all that rubbish, all that rubble that separated her from God before he could, he could lead her to, uh, into a relationship with God. And the conversation ends with this woman getting so excited about what Jesus had proclaimed to her that she becomes a first-rate evangelist herself and she immediately goes back into her village and starts telling people, you got to talk to this guy. He'll tell you everything about your life. Yeah, imagine that, right? Talk to this guy. He's going to tell you everything you ever did. No, I don't want to talk to that guy. No, but it was exciting because those were the things that were keeping her from worship. Those were the things that were separating her from worship. And listen, what I've been praying, especially this week, is there's at least one person this morning who has been trying to throw up something, trying to seek something and find satisfaction in something other than God. And this is the morning when you say, look, the only place I'm ever going to find any lasting fulfillment or satisfaction or purpose is in worshiping the living God. Or maybe there's somebody this morning, look, you've been coming to church. You've been bringing your body to church for years now, right? But your heart is 100 miles away. It's just something, it's just become a habit. And what I'm hoping this morning, that this is a day of revival. And before this sermon ends, you're back on the path to reverent, wholehearted worship. So what is worship? Before we dive into the subject, we have to define some terms, right? What is worship? It's a big topic. Because for a disciple of Jesus Christ, worship is a way of life. It's a lifestyle. It's not a weekly event. Alyssa just alluded to this passage. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Everything you do, mind and body, should become an act of worship. But Christians are also called to gather together as a family for focused times of worship, okay? That's a part of the Christian life. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm in the midst of them. And it's this gathered worship that I'm addressing this morning, okay? We're talking specifically about the times that we gather together as a family of God in order to worship him together. And I'm specifically talking, going to, going to address the topic of how do we prepare for these gatherings? Okay? How do we prepare for the times that we come together and worship? And the best thing that I can do to uh, define worship is to, um, 
steal a section from Wayne Grudem's uh, book, his textbook on systematic theology, okay? So I'm not plagiarizing. I'm telling you straight up, I'm just lifting this all from somebody else because I can't put it together any better. Grudem describes worship as in this way. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. Let me read that again. Worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts, gathering as one family in the presence of God. That's worship. That's what we're talking about this morning. Paul said in Colossians chapter 3, let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. That's a description of worship, of gathered public worship. And, and notice a couple of things that, that, to notice here. When Paul talks about worship, he's not addressing who we might describe as the worship team, right? He's not telling, okay, you guys up on the platform, this is how you worship. No. He says, let the word of God dwell richly among you and that you're to teach and admonish one another and sing to one another. This is something for the whole gathered congregation. This is not something where anybody gets to be passive. We believe in a doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. That means there is no, in the new covenant, there is no special class of priests. You are all priests when we gather together for the worship of God. And that means you all have something to bring. This is something that we do together. And notice also here that Paul puts together word and song, okay? We, we, I think we make a little bit of a, a, a mistake or, or, or a, a, we're not quite as accurate sometimes as we could be when we make a sharp distinction between worship and preaching or worship and the word, right? Everything that we do when we gather here together is worship. Later on today, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That's worship. Sometimes when we're here, we get to see people baptized and commit their life to Christ. That's worship. When we sing together, when we sang this morning, that, that was worship, wasn't it? That absolutely was. And during this preaching, right, this is not now your signal to kind of shift into neutral. Sit back and say, all right, let's see what that guy's got to say this morning. No, you're active. You're active. Anybody who's preaching... This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to prepare words to offer primarily to God, to praise and to glorify God. And your place is to listen and to receive and to respond to those words. And listen, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I think Carl would echo this. I love it when the preaching gets noisy in here. You know what I mean? Seriously. That, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you hear something that resonates with your heart, let that amen out. When something strikes you and causes you to glorify God, thank you, Jesus. Just let it go. When there are times when you need help and you realize that the word of God is, 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 is digging deep into your heart, there's nothing wrong with crying out, help me, Lord. That's, listen. That's what's supposed to be happening. This is, two, this is a two-way, right? This is, this is, this is actually, this is, this is a three-way event here because 
I'm trying to speak to God, you're trying to speak to God, and God is communicating with us. That's what's happening when we worship. But listen, what else happens when we worship? A couple of things. A lot happens when we gather this morning. But one thing that happens is that we delight in God. When we gather together to worship, we are here to delight in God. Psalm 135, hallelujah, praise the name of the Lord. Give praise, you servants of the Lord, who stand in the house of the Lord, in the courts of the house of our God. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing praise to his name, for it is delightful. We're here this morning to delight in God. And listen, I understand that there are times when we don't feel like worshiping, right? And there there is something noble and self-disciplined about saying, I'm going to show up and I'm going to worship whether I feel like it or not. That's okay. That's good. But maybe, maybe we could adjust that just a little bit. And maybe we could say, I'm going to show up and I'm going to worship God until I feel like it. Until I begin to delight in God, even in our darkest times, we can learn to say with the prophet Habakkuk, Habakkuk, right? One of those minor prophets we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was told by God that his nation was going to be invaded and basically destroyed. How would you react if you got that word from the Lord? Here's how, here's how the prophecy of Habakkuk ends. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no, vine, no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That's worship. So we've been keeping up with events in Ukraine. Now you talk about people who are in a worst case scenario right now. And, and as we try to help the church in, in uh, Salvation Church in Poltava, they are every day seeing people suffering from the trauma and the injury. They're ministering to displaced people. And last Sunday, when Pastor Zaharchik uh, posted an update on Facebook, this is how he began that post. There is so much joy in our church. Can you imagine that? And, 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 and I hope you've been keeping up with the updates from that church because this is what you're seeing. You're seeing joy and celebrating God in the midst of the most horrific circumstances. That's worship. But something else happens. You ready for this? Something else happens when we gather to worship. Not only do we delight in God, but the scripture says that God delights in us. Zephaniah chapter 3, the Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. Can you imagine what it would be like to hear God sing? Think about that. But according to the scripture, that's what's happening right now. God is delighting over his church with singing. When the church in Ukraine met hours ago, 
God was delighting over their worship service. When Transformation Church meets this morning, God is delighting now over the worship of his people. As the sun continues to move out to the west, to the, to, to the western part of our country and out over the Pacific Islands, people will be gathering all over this globe to worship God and God will be singing over it. That's what's happening when we worship. And listen, we have to be careful of being too critical of the church. It's, it's very, very easy to point out all the flaws in the church. And sometimes it's necessary. I mean, you know as a denomination right now, we are, we are being forced to confront some, some pretty serious and pretty ugly issues, and we have to. We cannot turn away from it, right? We have to look these things straight in the face. But, but it's criticism, that's easy, right? Actually dealing with something and trying to improve a situation, that's hard. But we have to remember to look at the church the way God looks at the church. When, Christ, when God says that he will delight over you with singing, he's not saying, I'll do that sometime later on. When you really get it together, I'll be happy. No, right now, with all of our imperfections and with all of our sins and with all of our shortcomings, God is delighting over his church. And we cannot lose sight of that or else we lose sight of the heart of God. Now, with all that happening, do you see why worship is something that we have to prepare for? It's not something that we can just kind of show up and, 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 and wing it. There's a lot going on here, and we're all involved. And that actually brings us to our text this morning from Ecclesiastes. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Better to approach in obedience than to offer the sacrifices as fools do, for they ignorantly do wrong. Now, a little bit of, uh, little bit of background on, on the book of Ecclesiastes, right? The book of Ecclesiastes is one of uh, the five books in the Old Testament that we refer to as wisdom literature. These are the books that deal with the big questions of life, the big universal lasting questions, and teach us how to live wisely day by day. And the theme of Ecclesiastes is the emptiness of life without God. Listen to where the book opens. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility, everything is futile. Isn't that inspirational? I mean, that's not something you, you, you read every day in a, in, in a devotional, right? No. Solomon jumps right in and says, look, everything is futile. Why is that even in the Bible? Well, the key to understanding this book, one of the keys to understanding this book is a phrase that comes up again and again, which says, under the sun. Everything is futile under the sun. And by using that phrase, what Solomon is saying is, when you look at life apart from God, when you look at life without considering eternity, everything is futile. That's what he's saying. And the Hebrew word for futility is hevel. It's a word that means vapor or smoke. Everything is vapor. So walk out of your house one morning on a foggy day and go grab yourself a big handful of mist. How's that going to work out? Nope. 
you're not going to feel very accomplished after you try to do that. The next time you have a bonfire, walk up to the bonfire and say, I need to bring some of this smoke home. Not going to happen. Everything is vapor or smoke considered under the sun. But Solomon, when he wrote this, he had almost unlimited wealth. And he had everything possible at his, at his disposal to look for satisfaction. And, and as you read through the book, you realize he looks for it in the arts. He looks for it in his career success. He looks for it in learning. And nothing fills this aching void that, he's, that he is experiencing. And so he gets to the point where he says, okay, all these refined, um, upright, productive things are not giving me any satisfaction all day, so let's just rock and roll all night and party every day. And he gives himself over to hedonism, but there's no, there's no satisfaction there either. But thankfully, Solomon doesn't leave us there. He's going to point out a remedy for all this smoke, this futility. And in chapter 5, where we read this morning, what he's telling us is that part of the remedy for this futility, this vanity, is going into the house of God and worshiping. This is where we find an answer to the, to the, to the emptiness and the frustration and the questions that we have. This is where we find true fulfillment and true satisfaction. But what Solomon is saying here is if you're going to do that, if you're going to go to the house of God to find the truth, then you have to take it seriously. You have to be intentional about it, okay? You have to guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, that um, phrase, guard your steps, it probably comes from the oriental custom of removing your shoes as a sign of respect. Remember when, God, when Moses met God at the burning bush? What did God say to him? That's right. Take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. This was a sign of respect. And what Solomon is telling us is that when you come into the house of God, remember where you are coming. Show respect and prepare. Be intentional to enter into the house of God. Some of my baseball friends will appreciate this. One of, the, one of the best things about going to a baseball game live, right, is you get there nice and early, and you can watch your team take batting practice. You can watch the players come out on the field and warm up. And it's great. These people are the best of the best. These are elite athletes. If you've made it to the minor league, to the major leagues, you, you are the best of the best. You are an elite athlete. But the one thing you'll never see at a baseball game is when the team comes out and the roster is announced, there's never that guy running out onto the field, putting his hat on, fixing his belt, and saying, oh, I missed anything. No, everybody takes the time to prepare because they take it seriously. And, and they're getting paid an exorbitant amount of money to take it seriously, but that's a whole, that's a whole other thing. But they take it seriously. Nobody just shows up and expects things to happen automatically. That should be our attitude towards worship. Don't just run in and sit down and go, okay, what's going on? No, prepare, take it seriously. And look, I understand. I understand how hard it is to get to church sometime. I raised six kids, my wife and I. I understand the struggles of getting everybody out of the house on Sunday morning. 
and getting here so that you're even in a halfway sane frame of mind and you're not just mad at the world because of everything you had to go through just to get your car into that parking lot in the morning, right? I understand that. That's just the reality. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't take this seriously. That doesn't mean we should just resign ourselves to saying, okay, I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to wing it, right? We can still take it seriously. And so again, here's the point this morning. If we're going to worship, we need to do it carefully. We need to do it intentionally. We need to prepare. So how specifically can we prepare for worship? Well, there are at least three ways that we can do that. Number one is what I'm calling the preparation of the heart. Isaiah said, these people approach me with their speeches to honor me with lip service, yet their hearts are far from me. You don't want that to be you when you come into the house of God. You can come to church, say all the right words and sing all the right song, but where is your heart this morning? Are you ready to offer the sacrifice of praise? Because as new covenant priests, that's an offering that we bring to God. What we did this morning when we sang those songs of praise, that was an offering to God. That was something that we lift up before God and something that he delights in. Are you coming prepared to offer the sacrifice of praise? Is there anything in your heart right now that's drawing you away from God? Is there anything right now that you know is getting between you and God, that is coming between your relationship with God? Listen, you... uh, you want to experience revival? Hmm? Do you? We pray for it. We pray for revival. We long to experience revival. Let me give you a suggestion. You want to experience revival in your own life? Because that's where it's got to begin, right? I don't remember where I heard it first, but somebody had said that he was praying for revival, and what he did was draw a circle in the ground and step into the middle of that circle and say, God, send revival and start right here inside this circle. That's got to be our attitude when we pray for revival. Now, if you want to experience revival, here's one thing you can do. You pick just one sin in your life that you know you've been ignoring, and you go after it with your whole heart. You start studying the Word of God. You start praying about that. You start seeking help with that sin. Oh, you'll experience revival. Because if you do that with a whole heart, you are going to experience the help and the support of the Holy Spirit in a way that you never had before. And you're going to be removing an obstruction between you and God. And you know what else you're going to experience? You're going to experience spiritual warfare like you never have. You think, you know, you hear people talking about um, spiritual warfare, right? And you think, well, I don't, I don't experience that kind of thing. I don't, I don't know about this, this struggle and this warfare. You know why? Because the devil doesn't need to expend any energy on you if you're asleep and if you're not paying attention to his word. My go-to guy for theology is not Dwayne Johnson, but I will say this. I will say this. Um, he said, he, he, he likes to say that you need to be the kind of person that when you wake up in the morning and put your feet on the ground, the devil says, oh no, not him again. I cleaned it up a little bit. 
you know, because it's Dwayne Johnson. But yeah, you need to be the kind of person that's giving the devil a little bit of pushback. And you do that by dealing with the sin in your own life. Or, or how about this? How about you look at an area where you know you're weak? You look at an area where you know you need to, 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 to build up some virtue and some grace. I say, okay, and, 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 and you want to know what it is that you should do? What, what sin or what weakness you should focus on? Here's how you know. The one that's bothering you right this minute while I'm talking. The one that you're saying, oh, no, 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 no. I do not want to deal with that. I do not want to go there. Go there. Go there. Because that's how you experience revival. That's how you, that's how you draw near to God. It's not enough to say, look, I'm just a... How about instead of just saying, look, I just, I'm, I just have a nasty temper. It's just who I am. How about saying, I have a nasty temper, and now I'm going to start to seek God to help me deal with that temper and replace that temper with some positive virtues. You say, no, look, I'm just, you know, I just like spending time with the ladies. I just got wandering eyes, right? That is the theme of like 472 country western songs. How about saying, hey, yes, I know that's a weakness in my life, and I'm going to start dealing with it, and I'm going to start replacing that lust with something else. That's how you experience revival. So there's a preparation of the heart. There's a preparation of the heart. You come into worship with hearts that have been exercised like that throughout the week. And that's when you start to experience the power of God. But there's also, there's also what I'm calling the preparation of the home. And by home, I just mean wherever it is that you live. Wherever you live, whether you're living in a tent right now or whether you're living in a big old house with 12 brothers and sisters. Wherever you live should be a place of worship. Jesus said, but when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Do you have a private room? Do you have a place that you set apart to meet with God? You should. Jesus said you should do that. Worship, seeking God, should be a regular part of your life. How often do we need to pray? Well, think about this. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, there's a line in there that says, give us this day our daily bread. So how often do we need to seek God in prayer? At least every day. You want to eat every day? I'll bet you do. You need to pray every day too. Prayer, secret prayer, prayer in our private room should be a part of our daily life. But listen, goes a little bit deeper than that. Parents, Scripture lays a particular responsibility on you as parents to lead your home in worship and to make your home a place of worship and a place of instruction. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We read, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. There's the preparation of the heart, right? These words are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. So we have very 
dedicated, very skilled people in this church who help with our children's program, right? And that's good. We should be thankful for that. That's a, that's a blessing. But it is not a replacement for you as parents, okay? It is not a replacement. It's there to support you. It's there to help you fulfill your role. It is not there to replace you. The Bible lays that responsibility firmly on parents. And it goes even a little bit deeper in that. And I have to emphasize this because this is what the scripture emphasizes. If there is a father in the home, that particular responsibility for leading the family and instructing the family falls upon the fathers. Ephesians chapter 6, Paul says, fathers, don't stir, up your, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So dad, listen, if you want two passages of scripture to build your life around, it's easier to remember because both of them start with six. Deuteronomy chapter six, Ephesians chapter six. Study those passages, learn from them because that outlines your responsibility. And look, this, this doesn't have to be complicated. Look, let, let's get real. Again, as I told you, I raised six kids. We understand the struggles of trying to maintain some kind of, of, of godly habits and godly rhythms in your home. It's not easy. But it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be this simple. If you're saying, okay, look, I've never done this before. I have never even taken seriously the thought that, that I have to lead my family in some kind of, some kind of worship on a day-by-day -day basis. Just try this. At, after, once dinner's over, okay, take out the Bible and say, hey, before we start cleaning up, before everybody scatters, we're going to read one chapter from the Bible. That's it. But then you know what's going to happen? Somebody's going to say, well, what did that just mean, what you just read? What, what, is that, what is that saying? And you know what you're going to say? I'm not sure. That's okay. That is a perfectly legitimate, responsible answer if you're not sure. But then you're also going to say this. You're going to say, but I'm going to look into that and I'm going to find out. And maybe when we sit down, maybe tomorrow or next week, then we'll talk about that. Okay? And then you're learning as you instruct your children. See how that works? Pretty good arrangement. Or here's something else is going to happen. This has happened to me more times than I can count. Wife calls you up at work. You are not going to believe what your kids did today. <laughs> you know how that goes. You're going to have to talk to them about this when you get home. All right. That's fine because that's my responsibility. Now, what do you do? You sit down at lunchtime and you think, okay, what happened as far as I know? Are there any scriptures that apply to this situation? Because when we sit down and we have family worship tonight, we're going to talk about what happened and we're going to try to talk about it from the perspective of what does God say about this fight or this lie or whatever it was that caused the problem in the home. We're going to talk about it and we're going to deal with it. And then they're learning and you're learning and that's worship. That's worship. And so when you show up here on Sunday morning, this isn't something that's just foreign. And your family doesn't come here and go, wow, this is different, this whole Bible and singing thing. We, 
are there any other times during the week we can do this? Yeah, every day. It's worship. There's a preparation of the home that takes place. And listen, you don't have to wait till you have a family to do this. All right? People, young, single people, you understand, you want this to maybe be your responsibility someday to lead a family. Start preparing now. Start building your life, your knowledge, your virtues to become the kind of person who can, who can, start, to, who can start to shoulder this responsibility, right? Use the time that you have now that, that's a little more flexible, a little more adaptable when you're single to develop yourself into the kind of person who can lead a godly family. That will pay off for generations, that will bless people. This is not a, no exaggeration. That will bless people who have not yet even been born, if you can do that. And it doesn't stop. Look, now I am now a grandfather. Love it. Absolutely love being a grandfather. Well, now I have another little person that I have some influence with and some responsibility to teach and to train, right? Not the primary responsibility, but I am there to support Avonlea's parents as they try to lead her in the ways of the Lord. That's now my new responsibility. So there is a preparation of the heart. There's a preparation of the home. And then there's also what I'm calling a preparation of the hour. You like what we did this morning before the worship service? Were you here for that prayer time? I hope you were. It was, it was excellent. We closed the doors at 9.45, we kept a quiet atmosphere. We had prayer prompts on the board, things, things to help you meditate and reflect on and prepare for worship. This is a way that you can begin to guard your steps as we come into the house of the Lord, to sit quietly and to reflect. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to create that safe space, that, that, that place where we can prepare further for what we are about to experience and embark on in worship. So there is the preparation of the heart. There's a preparation of the home. There's a preparation of the hour. And listen, I want to challenge you. Take one of those things. Take it home with you this week. Take one of those things and say, okay, this, this is an area where I can focus in on and where I can start to improve. And just start working at it. Just say, hey, next Sunday... I'm going to show up at 945. I'm going to come in here and I'm going to spend some time in prayer before, I, uh, before worshiping God. I'm going to start these habits of daily worship. I'm going to deal with those things in my heart that are separating me from God. Take that as your challenge this week and see what happens as we meet week by week to worship God. See what God will be accomplishing through us and accomplishing for us as we worship. Now listen, we're going to, in a couple of moments, celebrate the Lord's Supper. And this is worship. We're going to worship together as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.